it's a tabletop role-playing podcast where the die decides our topic, and today we are going to be talking about the Ayakashi of Tenra Bancho Zero, which are a very interesting part of the game. They are commonly referred to in the world as demons or monsters, but that isn't quite what they are. Ayakashi are spiritual beings. They are something more, something other. Generally, they're considered alien or just so far removed from humanity that they really can't be understood continually. Like They're just meant to be completely incomprehensible by humans. As a result, they are commonly seen as monsters, but many of the, the Ayakashi you see in games of Tenra are going to be Ayakashi that can transform into humans, and they may do this for malicious purposes, but some of them just blend in to human society. They want to live as humans and understand humans, for we are as alien to them as they are to us. And their motives can be just completely strange, nonsensical. And they make for very interesting enemies, and they can make for very interesting characters. Now, the game, especially in the rulebook, kind of sets them up to not be player characters. And that's not to say that they can't be, because Ayakashi and Half Ayakashi are things that you can play as. But they're things that you gotta really do your research on before you pick them. Because while they can be very powerful, they can have very, very heavy detriments. So we'll start off by defining the four different species of Ayakashi. These are the four general kinds of Ayakashi you're going to run into. Uh, there are some that might not necessarily fit into any of these categories, but they're pretty broad, so if you're going to make an Ayakashi either as an NPC for the players to encounter or as a character to play as, these are the four things you have to kind of take into account. The first are called the Henge. They are the different or the transformed. They are living things that were changed into something else. They still retain some semblance of their animal or human form, but they are now far more than such simple creatures. They often take the form of animals or half-animals, though larger than normal and possessing great intelligence, wisdom, and spiritual energy. This rings a lot of the, uh, like the, what's that, the kitsune or the uh, uh, nekomata, like creatures, that, and in, especially some like in uh, Chinese mythology where, you know, something lives for a thousand years and it gains sentience and becomes almost monstrous. These are living beings that have been altered and turned into Ayakashi. And they are the most common types of Ayakashi. The second are the Sukumogami, the artifacts. They are non-living things that are changed into something else. Perhaps it was a handheld object, perhaps it was a large object, or even a place. However, over the long years, it slowly came to be possessed by a living spirit and became something else. Perhaps a spirit was once a human spirit, pulled from nature and given a shape and form that it did not desire, or perhaps a spirit is a collection of deep feelings of other humans or ayakashi which congealed and settled over time into a living entity. This can be anything as small as like a little handheld lantern that was well-loved and well-used coming to life to serve the family that gave it such love and care over the years, to a battlefield that had so much human blood spilled into it, had so much misery and despair poured in that the battlefield itself manifests as a giant living being of hate and despair. 
the yokai or the monstrous. The yokai take shape from the power of pure human hatred or from a lost soul. They are living curses of the land, born to hate humans, which most eat or kill. They are the monsters in the dark that people like to think of when they hear the word ayakashi. Unlike most of the other ayakashi, though, the reason that they exist, as well as their monstrous goals, are often easily understood or discovered. The yokai are knowable, and they are to be feared. These are the most commonly encountered kinds of ayakashi, the ones that are monsters in the most literal sense. They can Their shape or size can be just about anything, as long as their goal is that they just hate humans. And these are going to be the ones that are most commonly going to be used as enemies in your campaigns. The last one are the Aramitama, the deep spirits or the gods of the wild. It's probably more correct to say that the Aramitama are gods and not Ayakashi. They are great, vague entities that the very spirit of the earth created and brought to life. Some Aramitama seem to be physical embodiments of the Shinto Kami. Others seem to be spirits born of sin or evil and are curse, which they are, the, which the very earth expelled into physical form. The Kami can very commonly be Aramitama. Ari, oh my goodness, I'm struggling to talk. Aramitama. But so could the Orochi be considered one, because as it said, it could be uh, a spirit born of evil or sin and a curse that the spirit of the earth expelled. These seems to be large coalescences of spiritual energy, of life energy, of thoughts and things of that nature that have come to create massive beings, creatures, unknowable gods of such incredible spiritual power that they are to be either worshipped or feared. And when you're making these, the four different species of Ayakashi have what are called character generation points. These are the amount of points you can spend on an Ayakashi of a given type to kind of pick abilities, pick attributes, and things of that nature, and make them into the NPC you want them to be in. Of course, as a GM, they're going to be considered guidelines, not hard rules, but they're kind of the way you would put together just kind of the basic ones that you would run into. If it's not going to be a special kind of creature and it's not something you have to put a whole lot of time into, these are going to be good guidelines to just pick your stats and get it done. The Henge, the Transformed, get 600 character generation points. The Sukumogami, the Artifacts, get 550. The Yokai, the Monstrous, get 650. And the Aramitami, the Gods of the Wild, get 800. At 800 character generation points is a lot, and we'll talk about that. Like other characters and NPCs and such, the Ayakashi make use of the seven attributes, being body, agility, senses, knowledge, spirit, empathy, and station. But unlike any kind of human or even superhuman or abhuman kind of character you would normally play, where you have these set limitations, an Ayakashi can have a stat that is zero. Or it can, during character creation, go above ten. Because these are not humans. These do not follow the same rules as humans. They can be different in a myriad of ways. Whereas it can be so massive, so bulky, that it has a body stat of 15. And it's just a pain to deal with. It can soak up so much damage. It can deal so much damage just because of how brutally strong it is. It could also have a body stat of zero. Meaning it doesn't have a physical form. It could be something that is like entirely spiritual or ghostly in nature that you would have to figure out how to even damage because how are you going to punch a ghost? That's going to be real hard to do. 
when assigning these points to attributes, every point you want to spend, like every point you want to raise, rather, um, will cost you 10 of those character generation points. And you can just assign those however you see fit. Um, but you want to leave a few. You don't want to dump them all into uh, just your attributes because they also get powers called Yojutsu. In the world of Tenra, people use the character Yo, which symbolizes fey, weird, or strange, or monstrous, to write the word Ayakashi. So Yojutsu is the art or way of the Ayakashi. So it's the strange and monstrous powers and arts that the Ayakashi can wield. As other skills, Yojutsu powers go range from 2 to 5. A rank 2 power costs 5 points, a rank 3 power costs 15, a rank 4 is 35, and a rank 5 is 75. Now, again, rank 5 abilities in any circumstance are incredibly rare because, oh my goodness, they are so incredibly powerful. And the Ayakashi have a suite of abilities available to them that can make them incredibly dangerous. For instance, the first one it mentions is Domination. And if you give a rank 5, a Supreme stat to the Domination ability, the target, if it does not succeed in a willpower roll against the Ayakashi, which presumably you would give it a high willpower stat if dominating the minds of other creatures or something it's going to do, if it can't beat that willpower roll, then the target of this Domination power has to completely give just full loyalty to the Ayakashi and follow every one of its commands. With the lowest being that the target cannot attack or stand in the way of the Ayakashi. So it ranges from, I'm dominating your mind to make you step aside so you can't stop me from doing what I'm doing, to I'm dominating your mind to make you completely mine. These kind of powers can be incredibly powerful and incredibly dangerous when going up against player characters. Uh, oftentimes forcing them to use their um, I-Key or Ki points, whatever they may have available, to resist these kinds of things, which they can, in fact, do. So you don't always want to rely on Yojutsu powers solely. But these abilities can make them just obscenely difficult to deal with, especially if you are going to be that guy who says, oh, we've just started a new game of Tenra. Everybody, go hunt down these Aramitama. Gauge what your character is going to be able to do before you start doing these kinds of encounters and make sure you read through this entire list. Some of these abilities um, can be just insanely overpowered when placed up at very high levels. For instance, uh, you can take the flying power and if it's up at, you know, rank five, it can fly at the speed of sound and be able to carry whatever it wants to carry. And since rules as written, it has no limit on carrying capacity. You could say that this Ayakashi picks up a whole castle and just flies away with it at the speed of sound. So be reasonable here. But other things uh, such as like auras of fear or being able to read minds or being able to turn visible or create copies of themselves... Uh, changing shapes, projectile attacks, super speed. They, they have all kinds of abilities that they can use. Don't focus too much on one ability, I think. Especially if you are going to be a player character being an Ayakashi. Which we'll talk about how uh, that works in just a minute. 
give them some abilities that may not necessarily be incredibly powerful on their own, but can work well with each other. And that can be a, a much better idea for some low to mid-level Ayakashi instead of having these incredibly high-level single abilities. Of course, as any other character NPC, you have abilities that you can buy, or skills, rather. Um, anything that's on the normal list. You can even give them, uh, as Ayakashi, the Arts of War to give them even more unique and interesting combat styles. Uh, with the skill values costing the same as the Yojutsu abilities uh, in character generation points. Now, here's the thing. Ayakashi are forced to have weaknesses... And these weaknesses give them more character generation points to spend. And the Ayakashi, a full-blooded Ayakashi, um, has to have at least one vulnerability. Um, even the even half Ayakashi have to have at least one. But the the full Ayakashi tend to have two or more. Because there are two types of weaknesses that Ayakashi can take. There are taboos and there are vulnerabilities. A taboo is something that the Ayakashi cannot do. And note that there's an ability called Undying that allows a, uh, an Ayakashi to basically become immortal. It's similar to the immortality strain that analytists can sometimes have. But if an Ayakashi takes damage from one of their taboos or one of their weaknesses, they cannot heal that damage with that ability. It has to heal naturally like any other character because it goes against their very nature to do these things. Taboos are things that an Ayakashi simply cannot do without unraveling their very existence because the Ayakashi are so strange and so alien in comparison to humans. Their incomprehensible existences just have rules that they have to abide by. And a taboo can literally be anything. There's not like a list of them in the book that it says, hey, these are a list of taboos of things that Ayakashi cannot do. Especially if a player character wants to play an Ayakashi, if they're going to pick a taboo, you, you will want to work with the GM to make sure that it's something that might come up. Like you don't want to have a taboo of saying, well, uh, my Ayakashi's taboo is taking a specific desert prickly pear and shoving it right up his asshole. Like, of course, that's never going to happen. That taboo is never going to come up in a game. So it would be unfair to give you a whole bunch of extra points to spend on getting all these new abilities and stuff if it isn't ever going to come up, if it's never going to be a problem that you're going to have to deal with. And it... And I'm not necessarily saying that a player character should be forced or coerced to actually commit a taboo, but it, it should at least come up that it is a possibility that this player character will come across a situation where this taboo is something you might have to do. And you can choose not to, but the consequences for that could, of course, be very dire. Depending on how many points you want to spend... And these taboos will depend on how many points you get back. With it being the same track of 2 is 5, 3 is 15, 4 is 35, and 5 is 75. But instead of spending that many points, you will get that many points. In theory, you can have as many weaknesses as you want. But do note that each one is going to make your character much more vulnerable. And is going to make them way easier to take down in certain situations, and especially if you're a player character, 
uh, your your GM may impose a limit on you. Um, so if a if a if an ayakashi is forced or coerced into doing a taboo, then it goes a track of uh, if it's a two dot taboo, they will lose ten points of vitality. If it's three dots, they will take six points on their wound track. It cannot go into vitality; it has to be in wounds, meaning that they're much more difficult to heal. Uh, four dots means it's ten wounds on the wound track, and that can be enough to incapacitate even some higher level creatures. And if it's five dots, that Ayakashi dies when it commits that taboo. It is something so against its very nature that it will unravel the Ayakashi if it commits those. The second type of weakness is a vulnerability. Wounds taken from vulnerabilities will not heal very well. And anytime you use something against an Ayakashi that is vulnerable to, you're going to get damage multipliers. You're going to do extra damage. Uh, and they cannot heal this with any special healing abilities. It has to heal naturally. So a two-dot vulnerability will double the damage. A three-dot vulnerability will triple the damage. A four-dot vulnerability will quadruple your damage. And five-dots means you either take f times four or tick the dead box. Meaning the first time they're going to get hit with that five dot vulnerability, they're just going to immediately take the dead box. But after that point, they're going to take four times damage because goodness, please don't. And again, these vulnerabilities can be anything like you can, you can feel free to get as creative as possible with these things. Uh, for instance, one of the uh, example, Ayakashi in the world book has a vulnerability of wet iron so if they are stabbed with an iron sword that is either wet with water or blood, it will do extra damage to the Ayakashi. So feel free to get creative with these things, but again, if you're going to be a player character, talk to your GM with your ideas for vulnerabilities, and if you're dead set on having a certain vulnerability, you know, at least give your GM that chance to work that in, where a, 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 an enemy or a monster or something could potentially expose you to that and cause you to rethink a combat encounter. The last thing an Ayakashi needs is a goal. Much like the weaknesses and taboos of an Ayakashi, a goal is going to be often a very strange or esoteric thing that an Ayakashi has as part of their character that is a reason for them to exist, a, a thing that they need to do. And they can be anything from, you know, a passing interest of the Ayakashi to something that is the overall core driving force of this Ayakashi. And again, they are two to five dots, um, but they don't cost anything. It's really, this is part of the, um, the world building of an Ayakashi, uh, where a basic goal two dots, um, they're passive towards the goal. They will complete it if they can, but they're not going to go out of their way. Advanced three dots, the Ayakashi has an interest in this goal, which means it's going to be, you know, something they want to carry out. They may take some spare time to further this goal, but it's not going to be something they dedicate themselves to doing. When it's a master goal, 
they will actively carry it out anytime they can. Um, they will resist any attempts to stop them. It's it's going to be something that is very important to them, and they're going to work towards basically at all times. And a goal at a supreme level of five dots means if the Ayakashi does anything to act against that role, it will destroy them utterly, similar to being hit with a taboo or a vulnerability that is very high level. Now, things to note when you're playing a an Ayakashi or a half Ayakashi character, uh, there are things to be careful of. First, when you're assigning attributes, you're going to use the normal character generation method. Um, you're going to, you know, have your 40 points with detriments taken based on your archetypes and such. Uh, and the 1 to 10 range applies to Ayakashi PCs as well. You cannot play an Ayakashi and be a ghost that nobody can hurt. Uh, whenever you're choosing uh, Yojutsu abilities, the character generation point cost becomes the karma cost to take those abilities at character creation. This means a player character Ayakashi or half Ayakashi is only going to have, you know, one or two abilities at most. Um, you can balance it out by taking a few weaknesses to gain extra points, but be careful with weaknesses because, again, that is going to make your character easier to kill. Uh, when you're creating a half Ayakashi character, you can only choose one weakness, and the weakness's score must be the same as the highest level Yojutsu ability taken. So if you take a supreme level Yojutsu ability at five dots, the weakness you have has to be at five dots, either a taboo or a vulnerability. It, it has to match that. The full Ayakashi template has no limit to the number of special weaknesses one can choose, but the first weakness chosen must be the same rank as the highest ranked Yojutsu ability chosen. Um, again, always talk to your GM about any weaknesses you want to have, about any powers you want to take. Um, when creating an Ayakashi, you're really going to want to work closely with your GM because I, I, an Ayakashi and the Yojutsu powers they have can be incredibly powerful even in comparison to the other things in Tenra, which is already kind of a game of let's see how we being overpowered we can make a character. Uh, Ayakashi can even take that a step further and you know some of them can fire lasers out of their face that do like 20 plus damage a turn and that's ridiculously powerful. That's that's some stuff that even a um, a Yoroi armor might not be able to do. So always work with a jam on stuff like that. Um, you can advance Yojutsu ability scores um, as if it were a regular skill. But if you want to choose a new Yojutsu ability, you can only take it during an intermission as if it were a special specialty kill. Specialty skill. I am struggling to speak today. Weaknesses can also increase, so you make sure that if a Yojutsu ability increases in level, that at least one weakness is at the same level. If the highest weakness is lower in rank than the highest Yojutsu ability, immediately raise that one weakness to the same level. Matching the highest weakness to the highest Yojutsu ability cancels out that single ability's karma cost. So keep that in mind as well. Now, it's kind of a lot to take in, but Ayakashi are fascinating to me in that immediately when I'm thinking of them, it gives me a wit like a witcher kind of sense of things. Ayakashi have such a strange and alien nature to them that they can be crazy and the world book talks about the sects of monks that will go out and they will hunt 
Ayakashi kind of as their job. And the first thing they do is they have to go and gather information because if you just go into battle against an Ayakashi and you don't know what abilities it has available to it, you don't know what its weaknesses or taboos are, you're really going to struggle to fight against that thing. But if you track it, if you watch it for a while, if you gather information um, either by eyewitness accounts or by going and finding places where it's previously attacked and gathering that intel, you can figure out things that it can and can't do and kind of use that to guide your actions during combat and the way you want to hunt an Ayakashi if it's being especially detrimental to a human civilization. That just screams Witcher to me, like the way that Geralt would hunt monsters in the witcher 3 and you would have to go through these quests where you have to gather information either by talking to the peasants of a town or by going to the place where this monster supposedly haunts and even interacting with it once or twice first to figure out what its abilities are it's it's the best idea for a witcher campaign like i i would love to run a witcher themed a witcher styled um, monster hunting campaign in Tenra, just because like that thought so immediately came to me. It's something I really want to do, and it seems like it'd be a lot of fun. In terms of playing Ayakashi, it, it opens up a lot of avenues of, do I want to be an Ayakashi that blends in to this group? And do I want to be an Ayakashi who actively resents this group, but maybe um, I have some reason to go along with them? There's a lot of dynamic there because the Ayakashi are so abhuman. They're so different from all the other races of Tenra, where you, you would think even some things were like the Oni are literally not human. And you would think them so different that them and the humans would struggle to get along. But at least they have the same body plan. Um, and things like the Kongoki or the Kijin, where their bodies are more machine than man, they, they're still easier to get along with, with something that was never human. And possibly could never be human and never really understand humans. So playing an Ayakashi character, or at least a half Ayakashi character, can present certain challenges not just in a combat sense, but in a very much social sense, because that character then has to figure out how am I going to interact with the world around me, and what is that going to mean for my group and how I interact with them. Stuff to think about when playing your Tenry game. So I think that's going to be it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. I want to thank my patrons, Jenny, Word, Ken, and Ari. You guys are awesome as always. Uh, socials, if you want to find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash d20dudes, you'll find us on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash d20dudes, or you can add d20dudes on Twitter, whichever is going to be most easy for you. If you would like to uh, join the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash d20dudes, of course. Uh, uh, a pledge as little as $3 a month gets you a shout out in every episode as well as some extra content stuff I'm making on the side that give to only the patrons. And if you want to join our Discord, a link for that's going to be down in the description. As always, uh, feel free to join in and come harangue me throughout the week as I'm struggling to get trained on my new position at work. Um, so we're going to roll the d20, and we'll find out what next week's episode's going to be. Uh, number three, so you want to do an actual play podcast. So... We've talked about doing some actual play podcasting in the past before. Uh, this is a topic we've covered a little bit, but there are some things that we missed and uh, some things I want to go over again. So talking about uh, kind of the logistics of doing an actual play thing and especially um, how difficult it can be because it's something I'm actually trying to set up myself. Like I, we're, we're trying to get set up to 
to do some stuff like that for D20 dudes. And we're, we're kind of struggling with it a little bit, but we're working on it. We're getting there and we're going to figure it out. So thank you everyone for listening and we will catch you in next week's episode. Goodbye.